Very pleased this morning to get to introduce a dear friend, David Clellan, and his wife, Gail. I've known David for about four years, met him through Bob, when Bob uh, got me involved in a group of pastors in North Dallas that, that meet and pray together once a month. I have come to, uh, to see my brother Dave as a, a trusted uh, advisor, as a, a, a lover of the brethren, uh, as a lover of God's word. He, he thinks in scripture. And when he speaks, he speaks in scripture. He's been a, a great encouragement to me. Married 50 years to his beloved wife, Gail. That's quite an accomplishment for anyone. <laughs> Dave is a Vietnam veteran. He is uh, a veteran of 28 years of preaching and pastoring at Town North Presbyterian Church right here in Richardson. He is now sort of retired, kind of like Bob is sort of retired. He is very active as a coach and mentor and counselor for uh, churches that are just getting started, for church plants. So he has a whole lot to do with planting churches and with uh, helping the leadership in those churches to, to get on their feet. So I am delighted to share him with you guys. Tom, you know, uh, being married to me for 50 years was a real accomplishment for Gail. <laughs> Can you imagine the grace that that took? Uh, we're both very... Uh, Happy to be with you in your beautiful sanctuary. Uh, we, we love the architecture. This is old-style architecture uh, where the sanctuary was designed so everybody could be close to the speaker. And, you know, we Americans still spread out like crazy. You know, <laughs> But Christopher Wren uh, took over that uh, architecture thing uh, after the fire in London, and he built these long rectangular things that you find in Presbyterian churches where people just get as far away as the pulpit as they can. Uh, so it's glad to be back in a place uh, where we have an opportunity uh, to be together. I, I thank uh, Tom for that uh, wonderful introduction and for uh, his risk at uh, having me here without ever hearing me uh, teach or preach before. So uh, he's a man of faith. I'm not sure the object of his faith will live up to it, but uh, Lord willing, uh, I'll do the best. What he didn't tell you, I, I just will tell you a little bit about me. I, I love Jesus, and uh, I am a sinner saved by the grace of God the Father uh, through the work accomplished on the cross by God the Son and applied to me when I was dead in my trespasses and sin by God the Holy Spirit. And uh, I believe the Bible is uh, the Word of God and Aaron inspired in its originals. And so when we say we want to hear from God, we read the Bible. And we, we hear uh, from God. And so perhaps uh, you might conclude that my view of inspiration has a whole lot to do with how I approach things. And uh, I'm not a whole lot on my own opinion. Uh, I really need to hear what, what God thinks of things. And then I know how to think. If I can begin to think like God thinks and you begin to think like God thinks, then, then we're really into theology, if you would, in its most proper, uh, sense. And perhaps you've noticed that, uh, a lot of the Bible's written in narratives, stories, 
They're not stories about things that are fictitious, but they're accounts of actual things that happened. And all of these things were put there by the Holy Spirit for the church of all ages. Now, Deuteronomy 29, 29 sort of helps us in this. It, it simply says that the secret things belong to God. That God hasn't told us everything. But there are things that are revealed. That's what inspiration and revelation is about, is God revealing truth from His perspective. And those things belong to us and belong to the church for all ages so that we might learn to follow the law. And when I say... So you see, when God speaks, there are no suggestions. He speaks authoritatively. He speaks truth. He speaks with that kind of authority. And the gospel is even law because if you hear uh, in Acts, it says, God commands everyone everywhere to repent. And if you obey that law, you have salvation in Christ. And so... That's how God speaks. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at a passage uh, from Luke, and I'm going to title the message, The Gospel of the Other Side. Now, sometimes people have the habit of looking at gospel as response to a proposition. Uh, something you do to come to Christ or to get saved or whatever phrase you might want to use uh, that, and they view it narrowly. But if you look at Luke like that, you have a narrow perspective. But if you begin to view gospel in a wide panoramic perspective, one that says, this is for me and for my life, it's to be obeyed and acted upon for living, then you have a different view of reading Scripture. And we're going to read a narrative today, a description of uh, something that happened out in the middle of a lake about the size of Levon. And uh, the parallel passages uh, to this are in uh, Mark uh, chapter 4 and, and Matthew 8. But since it is a narrative, and when you're reading narratives, let me always encourage you to try to use your imagination. This morning, as I read this, I want you to get in the boat with the disciples. I want you to say, okay, this isn't, you know in high def or computer animation, but I have the greatest PC animator, you know, mega computer right on my shoulders just like you. And so try to imagine what is going on as the Word of God describes for us this incident that took place and is described for us in Luke chapter 8. Hear the Word of God. One day... Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped. They were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. 
Where is your faith? He asked the disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the waters. And they obey Him. Let's pray. Father, by Your Spirit, You inspired this Word. By Your Spirit, enable the speaker to proclaim Your Word faithfully. Enable us who hear to see Your truth in it, to apply it to our lives and to our hearts. We ask and pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, is the Christian life Jesus going with you where you want to go, or is the Christian life Jesus taking you where He wants you to go? Which is it? It happens at the end of a long, hard day of ministry. And Jesus says to His disciples, a number of who were experienced sailors and fishermen, He says, let's go sailing. Let's go to the other side of the lake. Well, they probably thought they were taking Him along, but He was really taking them. Was he just long for the ride? Or he was he the pilot and the captain of that ship? When a young man joins the Marines, does he expect the Marines to go with him wherever he goes? Well, sort of. But they go with him wherever he goes because he's going where they are sending him. So, if you by faith, have signed up with Jesus. If you have made that confession that was referred to this morning, I know who He is, I believe who He is, and I'm trusting who He is and what He has done for my salvation. If you have done that, where is Jesus taking you? Where is He taking you? Now, you'll all say, well... I know the answer to that, Pastor. What are you asking me that for? He's taking me to heaven. Yes. And that's right to the point. Because Jesus calls us to go to the other side. That's what we see pictured for us in this narrative. Jesus says, let's go to the other side of the lake. And here you have the church in a small boat. Jesus has all of his eggs in one basket. And he's taking them out in the night in this little boat. You might remember or recognize it in the early days of the church. One of the artistic depictions of the church was a little sailing boat. Now this is a picture that we see in Scripture a number of times. We see it Noah and the ark. All the eggs were in one basket. We see it in Jonah as he flees in the ship. We see it in Paul in his shipwreck on, on the voyage to Rome. We see it, and in all of these, the destination is the other side of the storm. Now, think back of how this relates to the whole picture of redemption. What is it that the Father did? He sent Jesus to the other side. He sent Jesus to the other side of heaven. 
to earth. He descended from the highest place. He came to the other side so that we could be at His side. There is a great switch and transfer that is taking place in the Gospel. And this call is Christ's call to His disciples. Come with me. We're going to the other side. It is Christ's call in His alone. He's saying, let's go. Go with me from darkness to light. Go with me from death to life. Go with me from earth to heaven. Let's go from the world side to God's side. It is the unmistakable call of the gospel. I'm not used to working with these, so I'm a couple clicks behind. I'm not the, those are out of sequence. It can't be my fault. All right, we're going to stay right here. But Jesus uh, says to his disciples over 20 times in the Gospels, he says to them, follow me. And listen to what he says in Luke 14, 27. He says, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. You see, this call to go to the other side to follow Jesus is linked to being his disciple. So not only is this Christ's call, but it's Christ's destination. Christ's destination is the other side. He knows where he's taking us. He knows where he is headed. And he knows what's in between. We don't know what's in between. But he gives us the call and the destination. And this is the picture, the big picture, if you would, of our personal redemption from the call of God upon us in the gospel to the destination of heaven. And it's a big picture, but it's sort of like a big trip. If you were going to take a trip to Colorado, your parents would say to you or you would say to your children, we're going to Colorado, let's get in the car. Well, they know Colorado's the destination, but before they get to Colorado, they've got to go to the other side of Dallas, they've got to go to the other side of Denton, they've got to go to the other side of... Uh, Amarillo, they got to go to the other side of Dumas and Dalhart and Raton, and finally they arrive at their destination. So it's all about those intermediate trips, if you would, those, those intermediate stops on the destination. And every day, it is Christ's call for us to go to the other side, the other side of today, and to get there with Him. Now this call to the other side, is really a call not only to salvation, but to life change, to sanctification, to get us to the other side of selfish behavior, the other side of grief, the other side of, you know, sinful coping mechanisms, the other side of sickness, the other side of being wounded, the other side of wounding others. There's all kinds of things in life that we have to get past, get to the other side of, that only the gospel of grace can get us there. And so, we begin to think about this. We begin to think about how does this apply to me? Now, let me ask you, what do you listen to most? Who do you listen to most? Now, if you're a young person, you may have things in your ears most of the time, and it may be iTunes, it may be Pandora, a little older, it may be 24-7 news. Who knows what it is? But let me suggest to you 
that the one you listen to most is yourself. You're talking to yourself. It may not be a case with you, but it's the case with me. And it is really important what I say to myself. Because the old man is down there generally sort of spurring the old sinful reaction to the circumstances of my life and my things and thoughts are set on things below instead of things above. I know when when the, when the doctor told me I had cancer and he said, well, we have an 85% chance of, of, of curing you. I said, great. That's not even as good as Russian roulette and I wouldn't play Russian roulette. Immediately, my thoughts went to worst case analysis. How about you? When somebody offends you, is your first thought, oh, forgive that brother? Or is it something a little different? And so in the midst of all this, the question is, what is it that we are saying to ourselves? Are we really learning to preach the gospel of the other side to ourselves? You know, Jesus in the wilderness and the temptation, a lot of people say he was taking the sword of the Spirit and taking it to the devil and all this. If you look at that closely, Jesus is preaching to himself. He's preaching the gospel the other side to himself. I'm not going to get to the other side of my work of redemption. If I yield to your temptation and change these stones into bread, I'm not going to do it. In Gethsemane, he was preaching the gospel the other side to himself. I don't want to do this. It is really, it's the whole thought's unthinkable, but not my will, but your will. He's preaching it to himself. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says it like this. Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he got to the other side. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Well, he was preaching the gospel to himself. And what I want to say to you, and I say to myself again and again, I need to learn to preach the gospel to myself. You are the most important preacher that you're ever going to have. You have access to yourself all the time. And what you say to yourself needs to be the gospel on the other side. I'm going to the other side with Jesus. I'm not going to despair. Now, that's true and that's reality. But when I'm honest and when you're honest, I'm not all that anxious to be changed. I mean, I'm sort of comfortable with my old coping mechanisms. I'm not too thrilled about the refiner's fire and the fuller's soap. I can remember as a child, my, my grandmother used to make her own lye soap. She'd save the bacon grease and all this other stuff and cook it up down in the basement. And there's this thing, this this jar with a big skull and crossbones on it, lye. She'd put that in the soap and put it in the pan, and it would come out brown. You know, they sell it like Fells and Apton. I think it wasn't one of the brands they sell. Nothing. That's nothing. That's like base soap. I mean, this lye soap would clean anything and cure anything. And that's what is happening to us as, as we're preaching the gospel of the other side to ourselves, as we're going through life, that call to go to the other side stands today as it stood then. And on top of that, the assurance that we get from this passage 
is that Jesus goes with us to the other side. He got in the boat with them. He was on board with them. They were not alone. Jesus is taking us as individuals and as a church to the other side. And as we think about that, Jesus is on board. It's really great. I love this passage. He knows what's happening. And he sort of puts the disciples to the test. He goes back in the boat. Obviously, it's a fairly large boat because there's a place in the back where he could lay down. And he went to sleep. Is he here? Yeah, he's here. I think he's here. It reminds me of Psalm 139, where the psalmist says, Where can I go from your presence? Where can I hide from you? Is there a thought I can have that you don't know I have before it's on my lips? Your omnipresence, your knowledge of me is like mind-blowing. You're with me wherever I go. Jesus says to his disciples as he gives them the Great Commission, he says, and I will be with you even to the end of the age. The writers to Hebrews says it like this. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mortals, what can man do to me? And you see the manifestation of this presence of God in our day and our age is Christ who dwells in our heart by the Spirit. Christ is on board in you. And with you, you're not alone. He's with us. Not only is He with us, we're in this together. The disciples were in the boat together. You're in it together. Whether or not you believe it or like it, when the world looks at the church, they see Him together. We're in the boat with Christ. We are brothers. Christ is our elder brother. We are brothers and sisters. We are joined together. We are the body. When one part of the body hurts, the other part of the body hurts. When one rejoices, the other rejoices. It's that the way it is. It's reality. Now, how was it that night? I presume when they started out, things were fine. The weather was good. The lake was calm and under control. But what the passage and the parallel passages tell us is that all of a sudden, one of those perfect storms descends on that lake. We've had a couple of them recently in Texas where storms have descended on Texas and terrible things have happened in the middle of the night. It happened here, and we have this boat full of experienced sailors and fishermen who are scared to death. They'd been there before. They'd been in their storms. But there they are in the middle of the lake. Their boat is being swamped, and they are afraid in their own words, we are going to drown. And the church in a boat in their mind, may not make it to the other side. 
And time and time again in our journey to the other side, we're going to find ourselves in a place just like that. The storm is going to catch us, and all of a sudden, we're going to be gripped by fear. The storm may come in the doctor's office when you get a diagnosis. That storm may come in a phone call when you hear of loss you never expected. It may come when you open that letter and find out you no longer have a job. There are all kinds of places and all kinds of ways it will come. And when it comes, we are going to be like that. We're on board with Jesus. We believe it. But all of a sudden, we're not sure we're going to make it to the other side. Have you been there? You all haven't been there? I've been there. When you're gripped by fear, just like the disciples were. And in the middle of that lake, with the presence of Christ on that boat, the promises of God seemed inadequate. Well, they're just promises. Look at the reality around me. J.C. Ryle, a commentator, a commentator of a couple of centuries ago now, says it like this, It is only too true that sight and sense and feeling make men very poor theologians. You got that? When things are turning to what, you know what, around you, you've become a very poor